Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, wa kafa. Wa salamun ala ibadihi al-lazina astafa. Khususun ala Sayyidil Anbiya Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa ashabihi al-atqiya. Amma ba'd, inshallah we'll be moving into Ramadan very soon. Hopefully tomorrow, if not tomorrow, then the next day. Inshallah. Ramadan, as you know, is a real being. It has its own existence. It has its own personality. We must not assume that it has no existence. It exists just as you and I exist. Likewise, the abstract realities of time, they have their own existence and they have their own personality. That is how we must see the Prophet statement and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's command. So, like Salat has its own existence, Fajr has its own attributes, Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha, they have their own individual forms of existence and they have their own personalities. And they are real. They are manifested in a form in another world. The world of the similitudes and the amthal or the barzakh, the barrier between this world and the akhirah. So they exist there as real things. So we see that uh, Imam Sayyuti has written, a dua when you hear the adhan. In that dua, he says the Prophet would say, uh, if it's hadith, that ahlan wa sahlan marhaban biki ya salah. He's addressing salat. Ahlan wa sahlan, welcome. Marhaban biki, welcome to you, ya salat, O salat. He's addressing the salat as a real being. So you know some fufu thing up in the heavens. No, salat actually comes down to earth. And in that time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's nur comes down. And every salat has a different nur. It has a different personality. And these personalities manifest themselves in the words of the Prophet ﷺ. For instance, he said, Man, what do you call it? Fata lahu salat wutira ahluhu wa maluhu. He said, the property, the attribute, and the personality of Asr, Salat al-Asr, is so intense that anyone who misses Asr, it is as if he's lost his family and his wealth. Both. That's how strong Salat al-Asr, that's the personality. Ah, Salat al-Asr is usually the one that we should be able to read. The easiest, hopefully. Right? 
So you can imagine what he said about Isha or Fajr or Dhuhr. Right. So you see, Jumu'ah, the day of Jumu'ah has its own personality, its own existence, its own form, its own attributes, and so on. So likewise, Ramadan is a real being. And we have to welcome it as we welcome guests into our house. But the way we welcome Ramadan is prescribed by the Sunnah. It's not prescribed by our logic. So the way I would want to frame this is to help us understand the need to develop a Muslim culture. Islam doesn't exist in a vacuum. It exists with Muslims. And Muslims don't live in a vacuum. They have to live in a culture which is refined, reformed, developed, and is part of our Muslim civilizational value. But there exists no such culture of Ramadan in the US of A. Because Muslims don't care. They think it's an individual fast, and you can do your individual salat al-tarabi, and there's no color of Ramadan in the USA. Because that color doesn't exist in a culture. So we have a culture of food amongst Muslims in the USA. We have a culture of partying, mashallah, alhamdulillah, in the USA. We have a party, we have a culture of vacationing in the USA with Muslims, mashallah. Is there a culture of ibadah? Yeah. So the problem here has been that Muslims wanted to Americanize Islam, whereas it should be the reverse. We should Islamicize America, right? Islam is always on top. It is not to be subservient to any other culture or alien form of existence. It should have its own existence, its own culture. Like you have subcultures in every country that you go, especially in the West, you'll have a subculture of Chinese, of Korean, of Hindu, and no doubt Muslim also. But within the Muslim culture, there should be a culture that expresses love for Allah and the Rasul. A culture that expresses the love to worship Allah. And that, I think, can be done in Ramadan if Muslims start to think collectively as not, and not as individuals. When they start to think as an ummah and not as individual families living in a single home family. Huh? Yeah. That collectiveness gives us a sense of an ummah, that we are here to help each other. If we do not create this culture, I dare say we will lose many Muslims in the next few decades because they will have nothing to hang on to. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because Islam is not in the heavens. It's here on earth. 
So if Islam is not treated as a culture, is not administered as part of the culture, it is not introduced to our younger people as a real culture that we can actually exist in, live in, relish, and execute, then I see that uh, we might be in trouble. We might be in dire straits, unfortunately. So now, we say that Ramadan has a personality. So this personality has to be captured right, by a Muslim community. A non-Muslim community is not going to capture Ramadan because it's non-Muslim. And why would they care? Granted, you can give your neighbors samosa at the time of iftar and fine. But they won't know the value of Ramadan. So in Ramadan, there are certain things that the Prophet ﷺ wanted all Muslims to do. That should be the culture. Everything else is on the periphery. And most of it that's on the periphery is superfluous. And some of it, unfortunately, is un-Islamic, which we say, which we see, unfortunately, even in Muslim countries. So I'm not talking, I'm not bashing the US, I'm saying that across the world, there seems to be a lack of appreciation for the welcoming of Ramadan as a real being. This Ramadan, if he was a person, he would come into your house, he would come into your community and say, this is what we're going to do. So, on the whole, alhamdulillah, this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's on the ummah, that we still fast, alhamdulillah. This is Allah's tawfiq, and this has its own, it has its own effects on us and effects on other people. But in Ramadan, we are expected to do much more, much more. Right? So on an ordinary occasion, the Prophet ﷺ would not wake up his family for tahajjud, for nafil at night. He would let them sleep. If they woke up, they woke up. All right? In Ramadan, what did the wives say? He used to wake us up. Get up. What's that mean? It means the Prophet ﷺ is raising the awareness in his wives that Ramadan is supposed to be treated special. Not with the way the way that we treat anything outside of Ramadan. So he would wake them up. Get up. That's what he would say. To whom? His wives. He said, you're not relaxing. You're going to be doing ibadah the way I'm doing ibadah. Not, not as much as I do, but at least something. So this is the seriousness of a culture that we need to implement. So each one of us should at least, as we wake up, alhamdulillah, for suhoor, spend a few minutes, a few moments with Allah. That's Ramadan. What does Ramadan want us to do? Spend special moments with Allah throughout Ramadan, especially at the times when Allah comes down to the first heaven. That is at the time of tahajjud, at the time of suhoor. Allah comes down to the first heaven every day without fail. And he announces, is there anyone who needs help so I can help him? Is there anyone who needs forgiveness so I can forgive him? Is there anyone who needs risk so I can give him risk? Allah announces every day. 
But in Ramadan, it's intensified 700 times more. That is why he would wake up his wives and say, you must wake up and you must worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in honor of Ramadan. This is a culture. Okay? So, unfortunately, we have suhu parties across the world. Muslims have changed so much that instead of having nawafil and dhikr and dua and tilaw of the Quran, they have suhu parties. What have we come to? And they find, they say it's fine, it's part of Islam. They don't see something that is wrong. Yeah. So just as we wake up for suhoor and we make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we offer tahajjud and we uh, recite some Quran, etc. Likewise, throughout the day, there should be a culture of enjoying Ramadan. So there are several ways to enjoy Ramadan. One is to offer help to others and to feed others. As we are hungry and thirsty ourselves, we give more sadaqah and we give zakat in Ramadan, most of us. Uh, you can give zakat outside of Ramadan too if you want to. It's perfectly okay. Uh, and sometimes maybe you should. Maybe you should give 10% of your zakat outside of Ramadan. So you benefit people throughout the year. And so on. Or whatever you want to do. But the idea is that the culture of Ramadan has been stated by the Sahaba. And since the Sahaba observed everything of the Prophet ﷺ, they observed the following. They said that the Prophet ﷺ was always the most generous of people. But in Ramadan, his generosity would be as generous as a generous wind that comes with rahmah and comes with rain. Rain in a desert is everything. So he would become that generous. So now as, as much as he was worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he was also very generous to people. And he would be more generous in Ramadan and give more sadaqah and help more people and so on. So we should do this perhaps as a culture, in a culture that everybody that we meet, we must impress on them that we must give some sadqa. We must help someone who doesn't have iftar in our community, not India, Pakistan. In our community, there are people who don't have iftar. If only you went out and you spoke to the people who do this service. So we should not become so insensitive in Ramadan, that we don't even think of sharing our iftar with anyone. We invite each other for iftar parties. Right? But at the same time, the point of helping a Muslim break his fast is for that Muslim who doesn't have food. So we should be aware of this, that we should increase our awareness of who is in need. And there are organizations and groups in every masjid in every part of the country, where they will say, give us now $15, or give us $10, so that we can feed people. Obviously, you know, our story of the whole South Side, the whole of South Side, mashallah, they need food every day in Ramadan, and we have people delivering iftar every day in Ramadan to people who are in need in the South Side, but there are more people also in the suburbs now who are in need. And we should make a conscious attempt all of us, to find out where that is needed and then serve those people 
as uh, part of honoring Ramadan in light of following the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu who became more generous than he was in Ramadan. So this is the culture. And in our glorious past, this is always the case, there would be no poor person left who did not have iftar in our communities. It never happened. Why? Because it's part of the culture. We embrace Ramadan this way. We enjoyed Ramadan. The point about enjoying giving is now part of our civilizational value. You should be happy that you give. And when you give, you should feel a pinch because that's giving. If you give $10 and you earn, uh, mashallah, so many thousand dollars, that, that ain't giving. Yeah, that's being stingy. You should give with your heart open. And say, no, I'm going to feed people. And when you give, you give the best. You go, don't give second-hand and third-hand things to the poor people. The, the Quran condemns it. Don't make an intention to give something that you would otherwise close your eyes if you were to receive it. That's not charity. That's called getting rid of your rubbish. That's what it's called. That's not charity. So enjoying Ramadan means you create within yourself a personality and you assume the personality of Ramadan, which is always giving. Ramadan is a month in which Allah gives countlessly without any question whatsoever. So in Ramadan, we should assume the same. So if we can't give something every day, then at least we should make dua for them. We should say subhanallah or something, which is also a sadaqah, according to Prophet ﷺ. We should read an extra Quran, ayah or ten ayahs or surah for those people and send them reward, which is a great act of charity. The charity is not limited to giving food or giving money. Charity in Islam is huge. So many acts of charity. So now reciting Quran and making dua and reciting Durushari for those people is an act of charity because now you're engaging Allah's rahmah and you're saying to Allah, focus your rahmah on these people through this dua, through this zikr, through this Quran. And you do this constantly as you are awake, as you are asleep, if you want, in your bed, where you're sleeping, where you're lying down, or whether you're walking, or you're driving the car, constantly think about becoming Ramadan. You must become Ramadan yourself. That Ramadan offers rahmah. In the first 10 days, Ramadan offers maghfirah, forgiveness in the second 10 days. And Ramadan offers now emancipation from the five hell in this last 10 days. This is the Ramadan. And who are we? We are the people who are the beneficiaries of Ramadan and people who now become Ramadan as the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is to become more generous in Ramadan than ever. And you give freely without thinking about what might or might not happen. Investing and planning for retirement and college funds, that's all fine. I mean, it's fine, no? We'll put it aside. We're not saying that's haram. Okay. But sometimes uh, you have to give based on an impulse. That's when Allah is close to you. When someone really needs some money, you say, okay, I'm going to give this person whatever I can give at this moment. So giving at the moment, obviously, is something that the Sahaba did all the time. Whenever the Prophet ﷺ called upon them, 
they would give. They would give for the sake of Allah and so on. So this is part of our culture, the culture we need to develop in ourselves, in our children, in the community around us. Wherever we go in Ramadan, we must impress this attribute of Ramadan on everybody we meet because that's the only way you will develop the culture. Yeah. So instead of talking about what you talk about outside of Ramadan, in Ramadan, if you meet people, don't talk about that stuff because that's part of fasting. Fasting is not just of avoiding food and drink and, you know, marital affairs. Fasting is all about controlling your tongue. So in Ramadan, if you want to gossip, stop. Don't do it. That's your restraint. That's part of your sabr. That's part of your fasting. As Maryam says, alayhi salam, that I'm fasting for the Ramadan, for, for, for the Rahman. I'm not going to speak to any human being today. But that was her fast. Not speaking. I'm not saying you don't speak. I'm saying you don't speak about the things you speak about outside of Ramadan. Don't speak about the dunya. Speak about the akhirah. Speak about an eye of the Quran. Speak about the hadith. Speak about dhikr. Speak about something else that you can speak about if you want to. The point is sometimes we don't want to because we enjoy the other stuff so much it becomes part of us. It becomes part of our DNA and we can't release it from our system. Okay? That's not the culture. The culture is that we become devout Muslims focused on bringing down Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's rahmah as part of welcoming Ramadan. So now giving in Ramadan is part of the culture of Ramadan. And that's why Muslims are very generous in Ramadan as they follow the footsteps of their Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is the culture. Right? And then you have so many other things that we do in Ramadan, reciting the Quran, because Ramadan is the month of the Quran. So when we are now not tired and we can recite the Quran as much as we can, then we must do so. And do so because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to do so. One is you do it for the love of Allah. And the second is that you do it for the love of the Quran. So the Quran must become music to your ears. So whatever you listen to outside of Ramadan, which you should or should not, stop that in Ramadan. Listen to the Quran. If you're not reading the Quran, think about the Quran. If you're not thinking about the Quran, then listen to the Quran on something, on your smartphone, whatever. Be constantly in touch with the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so on. Now, some of this may be, unfortunately, so alien to some of us. And say, this guy wants us to be a zombie. But it's only 50 years ago when this was normal. Only 60 years ago when this was normal, this is the way we were. Uh, when our parents were in India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and in the Arab world, this is who we were. We were this type of human being. That we all we did in Ramadan was focus and engage Allah's Rahmah 24-7. It was not alien to us. Right? Not so long ago. I remember, mashallah, in our family, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give them all Jannah, that they would do everything and they would read Muqran with all the housework. It wasn't alien to them. So what I'm saying is that in the USA, let's try to now Islamicize America. 
instead of Americanizing Islam. That's the key. So if you want to Islamize America, you have to bring the Muslim culture into our homes, into our communities. So wherever we go, whoever we meet and whoever we talk to and speak to in the masjid, outside the masjid, we should be now all together collectively uh, in a state of timeout. It's a collective month when Muslims detach themselves from most of the worldly affairs. This time out. This is the Muslim retreat. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet did not like the idea of individuals going into monasteries and temples and synagogues and staying there indefinitely and doing these exercises that they could not keep up with. Islam doesn't like that. So instead of saying the individual goes, Allah says, all of you do it. All of you become detached collectively as an ummah from the world, at least for most of the day, so that you can engage with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why the Prophet says something amazing, that the culture of Ramadan is so overwhelming that if you're fasting in Ramadan and you sleep, you'll be rewarded. That's how potent Ramadan is. That if you sleep, why? When you're sleeping, you're not doing any mischief. You're not talking the wrong thing. You're not saying the wrong thing. You're not doing anything. When you're sleeping, you're resting. So in that state, Allah subhanahu gives you his rahmah, and you're rewarded for that. This is amazing. This is how easy it is to procure Allah's rahmah in Ramadan. So I don't want to sound the alarm bells, but I do want to say that we need to do a bit more than what we think we are doing. It's about time we stepped up to the plate and started batting for ourselves instead of saying that people who go for Umrah in, in uh, Makkah and Medina, they can do the job. No, it has to come here also. We have to be part of this Ummah, part of this tradition of uh, Ramadan, and we must maximize our understanding of Ramadan by engaging in what the Prophet ﷺ engaged in. And with that said, now we come to the actual talk, right? The talk is about looking for Laylatul Qadr, is it? Is that what it is? Yeah. So now, this is the background. When you're, the, the, the doors of the heavens open up on the 15th of Sha'bad, on the night. And that is a precursor to Ramadan. So in Ramadan, all the doors, as you know, on the gates of Jannah, they open up, right? And all the doors and the gates of Jahannam, uh, they are locked and they're closed. So this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala facilitates the acquisition of nur for every Muslim who is fasting and who is participant in the culture of Ramadan. So whether you do dhikr or not, whether you do your nawafil or not, whether you read the Quran or not, if you just fast and you stay away from trouble and sin, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward you immensely just for fasting. This is the benefit of Ramadan. Now everybody, alhamdulillah, does that. And Allah give us more tawfiq to do that and accept us, inshallah. So that is now, the purpose of that is to become receptacles of Allah's nur. Yeah, that's the point of Ramadan. In Ramadan, we should program ourselves so that we become receptacles of Allah's nur. 
So at the time of Salat, we do Salat. At the time of recite the Quran, we do that and you stay away from trouble. And the time of fasting, before you break your fast, you make dua. At the time of Suhoor, you make dua and you do Hajjud and you do your Taraweeh and so on. So this will now slowly help you develop uh, stamina to receive Noor. Uh, noor doesn't come down upon a human being if he does not have Iman. That's number one. So people who don't have Iman, they have no Nur. They live in darkness, and that's what the Quran says. That's our Aqeedah, that's our belief. Don't argue with it, that's the way it is. It's more true than one plus one equals two. If you say one plus one equals two is true, then this is much more truer than that. What? That people who don't have Iman, they don't have Nur. Because there's no receptacle there. Iman is what allows you to receive nur from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the other ibadat, they help you receive more nur, more rahmah, and more maghfirah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when a Muslim is fasting, he is now calm, hopefully. Yeah. And now he is more relaxed, hopefully he has more sukun, relaxed, uh, um, hopefully inshallah. And then this develops within him the stamina and the resistance to acquire more nur. What is Noor? Noor is at the first level the ability to see what is right and wrong. That's the first level of Noor. If you don't know what is right and what is wrong, you don't have Noor. Understand? So all of these people, uh, Muslims who are liberals, they don't know what's right or wrong. They have no Noor. So they would be best served if they just understood that the Qur'an is revelation and what the Prophet ﷺ said is also revelation and that carries tremendous nur. So you don't fight it, you don't argue with it, you don't debate it, you just accept it as part of being a Muslim. And then you say, this is right and this is wrong. This is the lowest level of nur. The lowest. So you don't have to make it some kind of pseudo-intellectual exercise that you fight with everybody, this is right, this is wrong. No, it is what it is. This is right and this is wrong. That's the nur that a Muslim carries. Then when he does ibadah, there's more nur. The problem is that when Muslims do ibadah and they have no receptacle of nur by dismissing the Quran and Sunnah, then there's no nur that penetrates. It's like a flat rock in, upon which rain falls and the rain just rebounds off it. The land doesn't soak it in. In order for you to soak in and absorb Allah's nur, you need to be submissive to Allah's will. You have to surrender to Allah's will. You can't fight it. If you fight it, then you have no way to understand how the Prophet ﷺ is. There's no way. So the first level of nur is this. The second level is the ibadat. That when you do ibadat and you do things on time and you do some dhikr and recite the Quran and you help people and you are a good person, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you nur. That nur will give you consistency in ibadah, istikhama in ibadah. You understand? So that nur is not something fantastic that you all of a sudden you see light at the end of the tunnel. No, no, it doesn't work that way. What this nur does, it gives you istiqamah. It gives you consistency in your daily routine.
And with that daily routine, you develop sukoon, that you can't live without it. If you miss a salat, you are so terrified and petrified, and you make tawbah. If you don't do salat one day, then it is as if it is the end of the world. And that is what I just mentioned, the Prophet said, if you miss asr, it's like yeah, losing your family and your wealth. That's how it is. So now, when you develop this level of sukoon with ibadah, then you have another level of nur. And this nur is what keeps you Muslim, which keeps you in ibadah, which keeps you with the tawfiq of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then there's a third level of nur, which allows you now to become part of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's universal program, and then he will give you tawfiq to learn about Islam, to learn the Quran and Sunnah, and to understand the Quran and Sunnah. That is another level of nur. So the people who learn and teach and understand the Quran and Sunnah, they have a higher level of nur with them, which helps them then learn more and teach more and so on. And then finally, there's another level of nur which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reserves for those people who love him for the sake of him and who love the Rasul for the sake of the Rasul and who love the deen for the sake of the deen. And they will never flinch. And they will always protect and defend Allah and the Rasul and the deen, no matter what. So if there's no one left on the planet who is Muslim, this person will say, it doesn't matter. Alhamdulillah, I'm Muslim. And I don't care about PR. I don't care about you know, social media. I don't care about you know, following the trend, keeping up with the Joneses. I don't care about that. I am Muslim, alhamdulillah. That level of nur, uh, is now also available for those people who want to avail it, inshallah. So all of this nur comes down all at once in Ramadan. All these four levels of nur come down in Ramadan every day, every second. So the Muslim must now become a receptacle to receive these levels of nur, these colors of nur, these grays and shades of nur, and so that he becomes now so similar to angels, that the angels can't live without dhikr, that is their oxygen. If angels don't do dhikr, they die. They'll cease to exist. As human beings, if they don't breathe, they'll die. So their oxygen is dhikr. So now this human being who's a Muslim, who's fasting, and reading the Quran, doing tahajjud, and doing tarawi, now can't live without doing more dhikr, doing more ibadah. And this is how he intensifies himself without neglecting his responsibilities. Right, so you can't neglect the responsibility because that's part of deen. Right? That's part of Islam, that you have to practice the Islam in totality all the time, not in pieces. So Ramadan is a time when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows every Muslim to practice this in such a way that he now becomes ready to receive more nur. Yeah, so this climaxes with every fast with every recitation of the Qur'an, with every sadaqah, and with every dua and istighfar and salawat al-Nabi, this now climaxes all the way until you get to a place called Laylatul Qadr. And you become close to Laylatul Qadr, and you receive that nur on Laylatul Qadr. When you receive that nur, it will be better than a thousand months. So that's what it's meant 
by seeking and looking for and finding Laylatul Qadr. Laylatul Qadr is a point in your own personal ibadah when you believe you have now procured and you have accessed Allah's nur and you've become now privy to Allah's nur and you have nothing more in life to do except worship Allah. And that's a spiritual state of mind. But it's not simply spiritual, it is translated in action. Either in your dhikr or your muraqabah, or either in your recitation of the Qur'an, or either in your fasting, or either in your salat, either in your tahajjud, either in your, uh, what you call it, tarabi, it must be translated into physical action. And that's the beauty of Islam. Islam doesn't allow a person to remain simply in la-la land. I'm enjoying Ramadan, I see all the nur, but doesn't fast, doesn't pray, doesn't give zakat, doesn't give sadqah, doesn't do tarawih, doesn't do tahajjud. That's not a sign of Allah's nur. That's just you being you. Hmm? Yeah. So we see that, that what we mean by uh, finding and looking for iltimas, the Prophet says, iltamisu, iltamisu, look for Laylatul Qadr. Now, how do you look for it? Not through a telescope. All right? You don't look for Laylatul Qadr a telescope. <laughs> it has to be observable to the believer. Like you don't look for the moon that way through science. You look for the moon with your own eyes. So here, what we, what we say is that when you are able to carry a little bit of the nur of the Laylatul Qadr, then your Ramadan is made. But your focus and attention throughout Ramadan must be to get to that stage and that level of being able to receive this nur from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does that nur do for you? So the Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, it's better than a thousand months, 83 years plus. Mm. So you will get the ability of thinking, understanding, and then strategizing and uh, you know, planning for yourselves and for the ummah and for the grave, and for the akhirah, and so on. A Muslim, by definition, is a visionary, especially as he believes in the akhirah. The akhirah is beyond time, and his jannah is. Right? The day of judgment is still within time, it's the last day, it's the last day of time. So now, by being attached to preparing for the day of judgment, and for jannah, you are a visionary. People say you're a visionary if you can think 10 years ahead of you, 40 years ahead of you, 100 years ahead of you, right? Which is fine in terms of dunya, uh, in, in that kind of frame, that's fine. Yeah, we'll give them that. That somebody who thinks 100 years ahead is a visionary. A Muslim thinks towards eternity. What kind of visionary is he? It's not 1,000 years, it's not 10,000 years, it could be 30,000. Who knows when Qiyamah is going to come? So a Muslim has the ability to think beyond time and beyond also the day of judgment and think about Jannah. And in Ramadan, all the gates of Jannah opened. So you must think about Jannah because you have now access to Jannah because all the gates are open. And the gates of Jannah are wide. They're wider than heavens. So wide. And you should be able to access that through your ibadah, that you're now at the courtyard of Jannah through your ibadah and you're right there. And then when the aroma and the fragrance of Jannah comes upon you, 
you react by doing ibadah. That's what it means, that the gates of Jannah open means this, that Allah's tawfiq comes to you because the winds of paradise comes with the aroma and the fragrance and that comes upon you and then you react by worshipping Allah. That's what it's meant by the gates of Jannah being opened in Ramadan. This is how Muslims used to be collectively. Now, I'm sure many of you as individuals have, mashallah, been able to uh, do in Ramadan what you want to do. And hopefully may Allah accept and give you reward for that, uh, inshallah ta'ala. But I'm saying that we have to now move from the individual to the collective and start spreading this message to everybody that we know. Because we only exist as an ummah. We cannot exist as an individual. Okay. The power of the ummah and the power of thinking together and thinking alike with the nur of the Prophet is now our preservation. That's the only way we will preserve Islam, uh, by collective, collective thinking that we must now be the ummah that Muhammad wants us to be. And then that's why we think of others in Ramadan and we give zakat, we give sadqa, and we feed people in Ramadan because we have a collective nature. Muslims have a civilization. We don't need another civilization to tell us how to eat, how to use a rest, restroom, how to sleep, what to eat, what not to eat, how to dress, how to behave, and how to worship Allah. We don't need another civilization to do that. We already have a civilization. It is far superior than any man-made civilization. This came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the Prophet and then through his generosity, he distributed this to the Sahaba. This is one of the meanings of the generosity of the Prophet in Ramadan, that he would give them more advice and he would give them more dua and he would recite the Quran more for the Ummah in Ramadan. So we see this that we, in order for us to receive Laylatul Qadr in Ramadan, we must believe that our fasting and other ibadat, they give us a certain amount of nur, and we carry that nur over into the next day, into the next day, until the nur now reaches a frequency that it's now able to access Laylatul Qadr, individually and collectively. So the collective nur of the ummah reaches its climax most probably on the 27th night. Most probably, according to some of the Sahaba. That's why we say the 27th night is Laylatul Qadr. That is for the collective ummah. But you have your own individual Laylatul Qadr also that you may access. Abu Hanifa rahimullah said that I've seen Laylatul Qadr outside of Ramadan. Hmm. Why? He was constantly in Ibadah. He already has the nur. If you're already in the, the same frequency and wavelength of Laylatul Qadr throughout the year, you're going to see Laylatul Qadr in Ramadan outside of Ramadan. There's no doubt in that. Right? So we must believe that's why he's our Imam. He's not simply our Imam because of his intellectual brilliance and genius. He's also our Imam because he is our Imam in Ibadah also. That the way he did Ibadah, no one else did in his time. 
That's why he's our Imam. So both spiritual and Islamic intellectual, he is our Imam. So he says, and then Abdullah ibn Masood before him said the same thing. That Ramadan occurs in Ramadan, not say Ramadan for those who know how to seek it. This is now the understanding. So the nur we, we, we procure through ibadah now accumulates and it develops a frequency with which you can tune into Laylatul Qadr. If you can do that in Ramadan, you're lucky. MashaAllah. Once in your lifetime, you'll be lucky. <laughs> if you do it every year without fail, then you, you're luckier. And if you can do it outside of Ramadan, then obviously you're Abu Hanifa. Right? This is how we say procuring Laylatul Qadr, looking for Laylatul Qadr. Now, finding Laylatul Qadr is all through ibadah, through dhikr, through tilawah, through dua, through istighfar, by not, by not wasting our time uh, too much, and by feeding people, by being concerned and caring for people, which is, I think, the most important thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cares so much for the Muslim that in Ramadan he forgives so many people every day. The hadith says 70,000 people every day he releases potentially from Jahannam. Every day in Ramadan, those who might otherwise be condemned to Jahannam, they are released every day, 70,000. Who does this? The being who cares. If Allah doesn't care, then we're doomed. But Alhamdulillah, He cares. Allah indeed with people is very caring. Ra'uf, very caring. He cares much more for Muslims than non-Muslims. That's also much truer than one plus one equals two. The universe exists only because of the Muslims. Had it not been for Muslims, the universe would cease to exist. That's also true. So Allah cares. How much does he care that he wants to forgive everybody in Ramadan so that they don't have to face Jahannam? They don't have to taste it. This is how caring he is. So what do we do to reciprocate? We care for what he says. And we do what he says. And we follow his Habib, the Prophet ﷺ, in chorus with all of the Muslims across the world. So, uh, um, inshallah, my sincere advice to me and to all of you is that we must, uh, inshallah, engage in trying to develop a Ramadan culture in this part of the world. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen if you talk about it. If you don't talk about it, it won't happen. You have to promote this idea and this ideal to all Muslims that you meet in Ramadan, after Ramadan, outside Ramadan, that we need a Muslim culture in America. And who is going to do that? The angels will do it. We have to do it. And we have to speak about it. So we should have pride in who we are and what we are. And we should believe in our own independent civilization, our civilizational values. And we should love Allah and then do what he wants us to do so that we may be able to procure and access, inshallah, Laylatul Qadr. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all Laylatul Qadr this year and every other year that we are alive. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us and give us the tawfiq to do what pleases him the most. 
Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us all. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, take away and remove all our, our problems and our issues. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help those who need help. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cure those who need cure. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala assist those who need assistance. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive, forgive us. Forgive all the Muslims who came from Adam until the last person on this planet. Ameen ya rabbal alameen. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayri khalqi Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahabi ajma'in. Bi rahmatika ya rahman rahmin wa alhamdulillah.